In John chapter 4, we read the story where Jesus uh, went into the city and he had been traveling and he was tired and he went up to a well and there was a lady there, a Samaritan woman, and Jesus asked her for something to drink. And, G- and the woman was really surprised because uh, she was a Samaritan and the Jews don't ha- didn't have anything to do with the Samaritans. And she asked Jesus about that. And so Jesus and this woman began a conversation and they got to talking about worship. Of course, Jesus had come to proclaim the good news and the New Testament. This lady uh, was still worshiping in the old ways. And so they talked about worship. And then down towards the end of the conversation, in verse 23, Jesus explains to her, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. So God is looking for his people to worship. Uh, him. In Ecclesiastes 12 verses 13 and 14 it said, said, let us hear the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. Why were we put here? We were put here to serve God. And so God is looking for us to worship him. Just like those of us that have kids, we, we love them and we would appreciate some, some love and respect and some attention back from them. So God is looking for people to worship him and so this morning, we're here to worship him. And for a lot of us, we've been doing it 40 or 50 or 60 years maybe. And I want to stop and actually think about worship this morning. Let's, let's talk about what we do. We've been doing it, and sometimes we, we get to doing it just out of habit, not putting any thought in it. And so this morning, let's put some thought into it. So I guess the, the best place to start, since I'm preaching this morning would be with preaching. Uh, Acts 20 and verse 7 says, Upon the first day of the week when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart on the morrow, spoke to them and continued his talk until midnight. And so we read in the, old, in the Bible that in a worship service we have preaching. 1 Corinthians 14 where it's talking about the worship service. It's talking about singing, speaking in tongues, uh, all sorts of things. In 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 3, Paul says, But he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. Now normally when we think of prophesy, we, mean, we think of somebody predicting the future. But somebody who prophesies is someone who speaks in the name of the Lord. I can prophesy to someone, I can speak to someone and say, Judgment day is coming. Now, I don't have any miraculous knowledge. God didn't speak to me. But I am prophesying. I am warning somebody like Jonah warned Nineveh. I'm warning people of something to come. So a speaker, a preacher, is uh, what he's talking about here. So Paul lists three things here. He says, he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort. Edification is simply making someone stronger or making someone better. Uh, Exhortation is just encouraging someone or exhorting someone to do what they already know to do. And that, generally when we come to church, we don't usually learn anything new. But we often get our toes stepped on, don't we? Because we knew it, we just weren't doing it. And then the third thing he talks about is comfort. In uh, First or Second Thessalonians, Paul is talking about the uh, coming of Jesus. 
And he says, I don't want you to be sorrowful like other people are sorrowful. And then Paul goes on to explain that Jesus is coming back and the dead shall rise and will rise to meet him in the air. He says, comfort one another with these words. And then we get bad news all the time like Lehman and, and Vernie and people in the hospital. And Angie was telling me that, uh, uh, who was the lady in Plainview that just died? Sammy. Sammy just died after a long, long battle of cancer. And there at the end, she was in some kind of home on hospice care. And uh, one of the nurses or someone that worked there asked Sammy, she said, you know, when everyone else comes in, they're crying and weeping and upset. But when your friends come to see you, you're all laughing and, and visiting and having a good time. What's the difference? Sammy could be comforted knowing what the scriptures say. And so when I'm up here or Mike's up here or anyone, we should probably be doing one of three things. Or if not all three. We should be teaching something that will make you stronger. We should exhort you to do what you know that you should be doing. Or we should be speaking words of comfort. We're not here to entertain people, to tell jokes. We're not here to impress somebody with our knowledge. We're not here to... Uh, uh, be funny or entertainment, anything like that. We have a, a specific job, a very serious job. In uh, Nehemiah chapter 8, this is in the Old Testament, verse 6, it says, Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. Then all the people answered, Amen, Amen, while lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. And he lists about ten people, lists them by name. He says, they helped the people to understand the law. And the people stood in their place. So they read distinctly from the book of the law of God, and they gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. And so hopefully, when one of us speaks, you'll have an aha moment. I do that all the time. I go, aha, I never saw thought thought of that. I never saw the connection. And so that's our job as a teacher, to explain God's word. First Peter says, if any man speak, let him speak as oracles of God. It's not a time for me to give my opinion, to read poetry, uh, any, any of those things like that. If any man speak, let him speak as oracle of God. But then... When someone is up here, they have a great responsibility. But then when we're listening, we also have a great responsibility. Jesus constantly talked to the Jews, the scribes and the Pharisees, and he got onto them. He said, he said, you've got ears. You're hearing what I'm saying, but you're not understanding. It's not soaking in. James talks about the person that looks into God's law and reads it, he said it's like a guy looking in the mirror and he sees his hair's messed up and he's got a smudge on his face and then he just turns around and does nothing. He forgets what he saw in the mirror. And so when we're listening, we have a responsibility, don't we? Now I know that you, and I do this, I'm, since I preach, I'm very hard on preachers. I mean, in my mind, uh, I say, man, he shouldn't have said that or that doesn't apply. Or, I'm just constantly judging speakers. I think that We've got a responsibility up here. But when I'm sitting here, I've got just as much responsibility. 
You expect the guy up here to have studied and know what he's talking about and speak clearly and uh, not waste your time? We need to not waste our own time. We need to be thinking about what we're hearing. How does this apply to me? What can I do to change my life? What is, what's in this for me? So uh, preaching is a... And you know, for a lot of us, we don't study like we should. We go home, we watch TV, and we listen to songs, and probably we don't really... For a lot of us, this is most of what we get all week. It shouldn't be that way, but it is. So we should get everything out of it that we can. And a note to those of us that speak. James chapter 3 and verse 1. In the New King James Version says, My brethren, let, us, let not many of you become teachers, knowing that we shall receive a stricter judgment. Mike and I, and you've probably seen churches where uh, everyone thought it was a, a right for the men to speak. I've seen churches where a 12-year-old kid will get baptized and next Wednesday night he's up in front preaching. This kid with hardly any knowledge and, and all of a sudden he's up front. James says, now, let's be careful. Let's not many of us become teachers knowing we're going to receive the stricter judgment. What does that mean? Well, in Ezekiel 33, verse 7, Paul is talking about a watchman. He said a watch. I mean, not Paul. Uh, God's talking about a watchman. He said a watchman over the city at nighttime when everyone's asleep. You've got watchmen, and they're watching for invaders. And if the invaders come, you've got to sound the alarm and wake everyone up so they can defend themselves, so someone doesn't come in and overrun the city. So Paul, or keep saying Paul. God is saying, I've set you up to be a watchman. In verse seven, he says, "So you, son of man." I've made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man will die in his iniquity, but I will require his blood at your hand. And when one of us gets up here and speaks... We should realize that we've got a responsibility to, to the listeners. We could lead people wrong. We've got to we got to be very careful. One of the other parts of the service that we've done for years and maybe not thought a lot about is singing. If any of you know me very well, you know that two of my interests are music and languages. And the more I learn about how we learn music, how it affects the brain, and the more I learn about languages and watching my kids and now my grandkids learn language, I'm coming to the conclusion that language and music are just almost inseparable. Music is a language. The way it goes in our brain and the way it works and the way we process it. And I'm coming to the conclusion that music is a gift of God. I believe that God created music for us. Now some things we create, like skyscrapers and highways, God didn't create those. Those are things that we've done. Uh, we, for years, they didn't have highways, maybe. 
There's things that we could do that we could do without. But God did create music for us. It's not something that we created ourselves. And so we need to take very serious music in in uh, the worship service. You know, m- music can touch the innermost parts of our soul. You hear a song on the radio, and boom, you're back in high school. All of a sudden, you remember a, your best friend because y'all used to listen to this song when y'all were cruising Main Street. Sometimes when it's quiet, and you're by yourself, maybe at nighttime, and the song comes on, and all of a sudden you're just extremely sad, and the tears start flowing. Music can touch the innermost parts of our being. And when it comes to singing, the words and the music work together to touch us in a way that just the melody or just the words can't do. You know, whenever we, leave, we read, uh, someone says, page 367. So I turn to page 367, I see what song it is. And one of the first things I usually do is I look down to see who wrote it. And if you notice in a lot of songs, the words were written in 1867, but it wasn't set to music until 1903 by a different person. So what we've got here is that somebody wrote a poem. And so I'll just look at the music like a poem. And it's, it's good words. I'm impressed with what people can do with words. But then someone comes along and takes those same words and sets them to music. And now all of a sudden it touches you. The words and the music can work together to do things that either of them by themselves couldn't do. So the question is, are we listening to what we sing? And I know a lot of times I'm not. Trying to stay with the leader, uh, trying to figure out the baseline, thinking about going on a trip this, you know, to the funeral on Monday. And I get, and you know, I say, what song did we sing today? I can't even remember the songs we sang. I must not have been paying very much attention. We really need to pay attention when we sing. I remember one time we went to a church in Austin, and it's been probably 20 years ago. And I've forgotten most church services I've sat in, but I remember this. It was a congregation of black people. And the song leader, he would just start singing a song. And the people sat there in their chairs just like you're sitting, and they started singing. The only people that picked up books (laughs) were me and my family. These people knew the songs. They didn't need books. You know, Matt and, Matt and I, we've been singing the same songs for a long time now. And yet a song comes out on the radio, a George Strait song comes out, in a week we've got the words memorized. And yet we can't sing these songs we've been singing. Let's really, really work to pay attention to what we're singing and, and try not to use the book. I know it's hard, it's habit. I just have to have a book in my hand, you know. But let's try, to, let's try to pay attention to what we sing. And another thing, I think I may have made this point, but maybe some of you haven't heard me before. Who's the audience right now? Well, that's a silly question. You are, right? 
I'm up here talking, you're listening, you're the audience. You're not the audience. God is the audience. We're here worshiping him. Now right now, you aren't doing too much, I'm doing everything. But the rest of the time, we're singing, we're praying, we're taking the uh, communion, the contribution, and God is watching. In the Old Testament, they, earned, they offered up sacrifices to God. It talks about a sweet-smelling savor. God looked down at their sacrifices. God is looking down at us right now and looking at our hearts. Where are our hearts? Are we listening to his word? That I, the word, the scriptures I'm reading, are we listening to God's word? They're not my words. Are we listening to the words we sing? We need to realize that singing is a very, very important part of uh, the worship service. I'd just like to point out real quickly, and I think Wyatt would confirm this, because Wyatt's majoring in music. What is singing? Well, singing's opening your mouth and making sounds, pretty sounds. I propose to you that music is 80, especially singing, is 80% listening. Why is that? Well, you got to make sure you're singing the right song, don't you? And you got to make sure you're singing the right verse. That's embarrassing when you don't watch the leader and everyone's off on a different verse, and there you are singing. You got to listen, don't you? You got to listen to make sure you're singing with everyone else. Some people don't listen. They're having a good time and they're they're singing with their spirit, but they're way off, and it's hard on the rest of us. You got to make sure that you're. Uh, on the right tempo, not dragging the song. You've got to be listening to the words. Singing is 50 to 80% listening. And when we don't listen, it can really mess things up. And obviously, we don't get much out of it. You say, well, I'm singing in my spirit. God knows that my heart is right. Well, we've got to be concerned about other people, too. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse, oh, let's see here, 26. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, a song, a teaching, uh, a tongue, revelation, interpretation. Let all things be done to edification. What does edification mean? Building up other people. He even mentions in uh, verse 23, I think. Therefore, if the whole church be come together and all speak with tongues... And there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers. Sometimes we have visitors, don't we? Will they not say that you are out of your mind? Now, Paul said, let all things be done to edification. We need to stop and think how our part of the service, the singing, looks to other people. They should get a good impression. And you've done that, haven't you? I went down to College Park, and the singing is wonderful. It made a good impression. You think I want to go back? Of course I do. We should make people want to come back here by the quality of our teaching, our prayers, our singing. Singing is very important. Um, another part, and we don't really think of it as part of the worship service. When David and I were little kids, I remember we lived in this little three-bedroom house and had a hallway. And I remember one day my mom's bedroom's over here and my bedroom's over here. And David and I would play church there in that hallway. And I remember one day I was there at the end of the hallway. 
and we had communion, and then we had the contribution. And I was a little kid, I don't know, 13 or younger, and I said, now, God doesn't say to do this, but we do it anyway. <laughs> and my mom was in the room, and she quickly explained to me God does say to have contribution. It's part of the worship service. So how does the church raise money today? Well, I'll do like Jesus did, and I'll ask you a question. How did Noah build the ark? How did Noah build the ark? Genesis chapter 6 and verse 22. Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded, so he did. And so that's how we have the contribution. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 and 2. Paul says, Now concerning the collection for the saints... As I have given order to the churches of Galatia, so you must do also. On the first day of the week, let each one of you lay something aside, storing up as he may prosper, that there be no collections when I come. That's how we have, that's how the church raises money. Not, not bake sales, uh, not raffle tickets. Um, first day of the week, we all lay something aside. And you stop and think about it, that's a that's a form of sacrifice, isn't it? We're giving something of value back to the church. Under the Old Testament, they would give uh, a lamb without spot, a, a first-year bull or something. They gave valuable stuff to be burnt offerings. They didn't get rid of the, the sick part of their flock. They gave the best of their flock. And so when we contribute, we're making a sacrifice. It says, as we prosper. What does prosper mean? Well, prosper means to achieve economic success. So we're to give as we prosper. Do you think a college student needs to give as much as someone that's got a successful business? Well, obviously not. A college student is just scraping by, barely making the used car payment, barely making the rent, doesn't have anything left over at the end of the month. Now, under the Old Testament, he would be required to give 10%. You give 10% of your $300 car payment, 10% of your $1,000 rent, uh, 10% of what you spend on food, 10% of what you spend on tuition. Now you're in debt, aren't you? You've got to go borrow money to make the contribution. In the New Testament, we don't do tithing. That was part of the old agreement, part of the old covenant. Under the New Testament, we give as we've been prospered. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, when Paul wrote the second letter, he went into a little bit more detail about this. Talking about the contribution, he says, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will so reap bountifully, so let each one of us give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly over necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. There's a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 15. Let's see if I get that right. I think Deuteronomy 15. In verse 7, God says, If there is among you a poor man of your brethren within any of the gates of your land, which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not harden your heart, nor shut your hand from your poor brother. But you shall open your hand wide to him and willingly lend him sufficient for his need, whatever his needs. Beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of release is at hand. I believe in the seventh year, maybe the year of Jubilee, all debts had to be forgiven. 
So beware lest there be a wicked thought in your heart saying the seventh year, the year of release is at hand and your eye be evil against your poor brother and you give him nothing and he cry out to the Lord against you and it becomes sin among you. What kind of person would be like that? Oh, oh, what a horrible person. Well, are we that way? Do we give grudge? Oh, uh, I could sure spend this money some other way. There's a verse in uh, Ecclesiastes Chapter 11, verse 1, I think. It says, Cast your bread upon the waters, and after many days it shall return to you. Now, if you're like on an ocean or one of the big lakes or seas they had in, in, in uh, Israel, and you took bread and you just threw it out there, and it just floats away, and after a while it sinks and it's gone. And you go, That was my supper. <laughs> We don't have anything to feed the kids now. But then after a little while, it comes back. Wow. And it's kind of that way with, with money. When, when we're generous, when, when we bless other people, it seems that somehow or another, at some time from another source, that we get blessed. It's funny how God does that. So when it comes to contribution, we need to, we need to be glad to do that. How much should we give? Well, a lot of people like to give 10%. I asked my granddad Hazelton one time, I said, how much do you think you should give? He said, well, your grandmother and I, we like to give 10%. I thought, that sounds good. And then I heard Jay Henderson say one time, asked a question. This is one of those things I remember. Angie and I have been married 40 years, and I know it was before that. I heard Jay say this. He says, how much did you give to contribution? How much do you spend on entertainment? Whoa. (laughs) Some of us spend a lot on entertainment. Bass boats and expensive vacations. Does our contribution even come close to that? C.S. Lewis said that we are not physical beings with the spirit. We are spiritual beings with a body. And we need to learn to look at life that way. It's hard. But we need to learn to look at life spiritually. Look at long-term things. And when it comes to contribution, we need to look at that too. Our homes, one day they'll burn up. Our cars, our boats, our clothes. Everything's going to be burned up. And there's only going to be a few things left. And that's our souls and and how we invested uh, in spiritual things. So keep that in mind. Another thing we do in in worship service is prayer. To to pray to God means to address God with adoration, confession, supplication, or thanksgiving. Philippians 4 and verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. When when the disciples asked Jesus how to pray, or this is in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, the Lord's Prayer, we call it, how does it start? Hallowed be your name. What does hallowed mean? Hallowed means sacred and, and separate and set apart, different. Hallowed be God's name. We're, we're praising him. We're saying good things about God. To praise God doesn't mean to say, praise the Lord. Although that would be praise. 
What do you say when you praise your kids? Oh, praise you, Zach. No, when you praise your kids, you say, you did a good job. You're an honest person. You're, you're nice to people. You've got a, a big heart. We call out their, when we pray, or our spouse, or when the boss praises you, he calls out your good qualities. He doesn't just say, oh, praise you, you're, you're a good worker. And that's what really praise is when we praise God. We call out his good qualities. And so it doesn't hurt to, to be specific. Don't just give a generic prayer that doesn't have that much meaning to you. Prayer is a conversation with God. And I think, especially in your personal life, but especially when we get up to lead a prayer in church, I think if you will just use the words you normally use, use the phrases you normally use, talk like you normally talk, although in a respectful way, I think prayer will come easier and be more natural, and I think you'll get more out of it. When you talk to your wife or your close friend, what do you talk about? Angie and I talk about things that are important to us. Sometimes we talk about trivial things. We talk about things that are important to us. We talk about y'all. We talk about our kids, problems our kids are having. Maybe we try not to be complainers, but as we get older and start having a few little health problems here and there and trying to build a house, go, man, I can't lift as much as I used to could. We talk about the things that are important to us, don't we? Talk to those things. Talk about those things to God, the things that are important to you. You having trouble at work? Well, that's not spiritual. Yeah, it is. Your whole life is. God cares about it. Talk to God about that. You having trouble with the sin? temptation, financial problems, marital problems, problems with your kids, talk to God. 1 Peter chapter 4, Peter taught, says that we should cast all our care on him because he cares for us. You know, some parents, when a little kid comes to them, something happened at school or maybe the kid hurt themselves, got a cut. Some parents just oh, shake it off. But a lot of parents pick up the kid and hug them and say, I'm sorry. Maybe get a Band-Aid and say, it'll be better. And that's what God is for us. He cares about us. The little things that bother us, the things that upset us, the things that we worry about, those are the things that God cares about. And so talk to him about those things. Let prayer be just a natural conversation between you and God. And then I guess the... The last thing I haven't talked about in a worship service is a communion. Now here's a question. Is the word communion even in the Bible? We read Matthew chapter 26 where Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. And I think uh, two of the other Gospels, Luke and Mark maybe, talk about the Lord's Supper. Jesus never says communion. 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where Paul's talking about the communion. He doesn't use the word communion. Is the word communion in the Bible? 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 16. <clears throat> I speak as to wise men, or 15. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? What does communion mean? It means fellowship, 
or sharing. And so when we get around the communion table, we're, we're uh, with each other. We're sharing the, the bread and the fruit of the vine. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul goes into more detail about the communion. He says, For I received from the Lord that which also delivered you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and said, he explained to them, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now they didn't understand at the time the crucifixion hadn't happened. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he come. Uh, to proclaim means to declare something, something that you consider important. And that's what we're doing. We're proclaiming, we're declaring an important event that happened. Now Paul says... Whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. I've known of people that had committed a sin in their life, uh, one that they considered particularly bad, and they wouldn't eat the Lord's Supper because they said, I'm not worthy. And I can understand that. But who here is worthy? Nobody's worthy. But that's okay. Because Paul didn't say, if you partake of the supper and you're unworthy. He said in an unworthy manner, how you do it. We're all unworthy. It's an unworthy manner. Well, what is an unworthy manner? I hear people say all the time, say, help us to partake this in a worthy manner. What's a worthy manner? For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy... This is verse 29. He who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. An unworthy manner is when you do it, not discerning the Lord's body. If you can discern something, you can see it and make it out. So when we take the Lord's Supper, what are we discerning? Oh... This isn't like the bread we ate at home this morning, the toast. This isn't like the orange juice we had for breakfast. That was just food. This is the Lord's body. And so when we take it, even though there's three, four, five other men up here, in, we could say in charge of the communion, this is something we're all participating in. One man may lead the prayer, but we're all doing this together. And we're proclaiming together the Lord's death till he come. This, this too is a very important part of, of the worship service. Jesus said, this do in remembrance of me or in memory of me. All the time, like Lehman dies and Sammy and, and there'll be memorials. There'll be donations made maybe to causes and we'll say, in memory of. In memory of means in honor of someone who has died. 
It also means the act of remembering and showing respect for a past event. And so when we do this, we're doing this in memory of Jesus and his sacrifice. Do you ever forget that Jesus died? Wednesday, something pops. Oh, I forgot. Of course not. Every, I'm just like you. Every time I pray, I ask God for forgiveness. And I know the only way I can get this forgiveness is through his death. I never forget. I think about it every day. But of course, this is a time when we, we proclaim it. We come together and we commune. We do it together. So, so I never say these words, but I'll say them this morning in closing. I remember when I was a kid, and I didn't really like going to church. Maybe a young teenager. And we shouldn't be that way. As I matured, I started seeing the value in things and the importance like we've talked about this morning. And so on the one hand, going to church should be a habit. When you wake up on Sunday morning, it's just known where you're going. You're going to church. But on the other hand, when we get here, it shouldn't be just habit. It should be special. You know, there are people right now, especially in China, in Iran, North Vietnam, uh, lots of countries throughout the world where Christians are having to hide and hoping that they don't get discovered because they'll be hauled off and thrown into jail and tortured and killed. And we're very blessed that God has put us in a country where we can just come together openly like this without being afraid. We can sing to him. We can pray to him. We should never... And, and just the fact that the creator of all the universe cares what Eddie says is amazing. The president doesn't care about Eddie. Presidents around the world don't care about Mike or Carrie. God cares about you. It isn't. We come here to honor God, but on the other hand, it's a great honor to us that he will spend his time listening to us and that he cares for us. So as we have the rest of the service, the prayers, the communion, the contribution, the singing, make sure your whole heart is in it. Make sure we're really thinking about what we're doing. It's very important to us and it's very important to God. We always offer a song of invitation. Uh, I could say if anyone hasn't been living as they should, but like I said, that includes all of us. None of us have been. We can, as we sing this song, we can think about our lives and think about what we're going to do differently this week. Think about the words of this song as we stand and sing.